Today's show is sponsored by The Wandering Owl. TheWanderingOwl.com Imagine yourself under a starry sky, around the warm glow of the sacred fire, as your hosts Sarenth Odinson and James Stovall talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? The rope is taut around your neck, and you've hung for days and days. No food, no water, the utter creeping of death comes, and you look down, 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 and it seems to go down forever, and there it is, that's what it's all about, the sacrifice of yourself to yourself, and you go down into that deep abyss, and you drown in it, and you take them up, sound, word and the mystery speaks to you rune 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 and it seeps into your blood and it seeps into your soul and all creation screams with you as the rope snaps And then you come back, back from death itself, walking that road. You've ridden the gallows horse, Yggdrasil, and you've come back through the other side. Oh, one-eyed God. Oh, mighty God. Runatir. And you stand beneath your gallows tree and you know what you must do. And so you wander the worlds and from your mouth, from your soul, the runes are born into the worlds. Wow. Welcome everybody to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. I am James Stovall and that opening prayer was by Sarenth Odinson, my co-host and you are listening to episode three of Around Grandfather Fire. How are you doing tonight, Sarah? Ooh, I'm doing good. I guess we're kind of feeling the runes tonight. It's a Wednesday after all. It is appropriate, right? Yes. It, uh, to, to quote American Gods, well, it is my day. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody, to the show. Hopefully you found us on the Anchor app. Anchor.fm is hosting our podcast, and you can also find us on Google Play, iTunes, and all kinds of other different places. But we like the Anchor app for a couple different reasons, because you can leave feedback and voicemails on our show right there through the app, and those are uh, feedback messages that we can use on the show, and we encourage you to leave those. We love questions. And uh, the other reason to use the Anchor app is because it has a couple other great shows on it as well. Shows that are made or co-hosted by our guest tonight. And those podcasts are What in the Weird or Everyday Animism. Also, very excellent podcasts that you'll find on Anchor. So please check those out. You can also find us on our Facebook page. And you can find my me on, on uh 
Twitter at James at the Owl. You can find Sarenth at, at Sarenth. And we are all over the place. If you care to look for us, you'll find us. Trust us. But with that, I just really want to get to our guest tonight. So the, the creator of those couple other podcasts. So the reason she's on the show tonight is she has a really amazing upcoming book, The Runic Book of Days, that'll be available next week on the 11th that you can pre-order through Amazon. And uh, we'd like to welcome Kelly Harrell. Welcome, Kelly. Hey, thank you for having me on, guys. Yeah, no <laughs> problem. I, you know, I thank you so much for sending me a preview copy of that book. I loved it. I really did. It's a great oh, book. Thank you for saying it was. Uh, it was a tough work, as you well know. Yeah, yeah. The ruins <laughs> do have a cost, don't they? It's amazing how that happens. Mackerel, do they? <laughs> Yeah, I no, I I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I like uh, for anybody that's considering a, a book on the runes. I you know I, I would actually probably recommend this as a as a starting place because the thing I like so much about it is the way you describe each individual rune is really amazing. Uh, some of the wording choices that you use in phrasing help me understand a couple of them in a way that I had not before. And then because we're going through the cycle of the year with these runes it, it, it's amazing that you're developing such a relationship with all of them with yourself with your shadow work it, it was really well done thank you it, it was um it, it was a lived experience <laughs> that's all <laughs> i can say <laughs> so for our listeners uh, we're going to assume that no, nobody has uh listened to the show before even though we put up an archive show recently that they can go check out um, but tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll dive into a little bit about the, the book writing process and what people can expect out of it. Um, my path is predominantly animistic with some flavors of shamanism, which I question heavily at this point. I don't really know what to call any of it anymore. Uh, and I know you guys have talked about that, which I oh thought gosh, was yes. brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, my relationship with the runes started as a teenager, lo probably long before any of the other isms happened for me. And um, kind of by accident, but isn't it always? Like, aren't all the good things sort of by accident? And um, I had no plan to ever speak a word to anybody about my personal rune work. And somewhere along the 20-year mark, the runes started saying otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was one of those reluctant scenarios all the way. Gee, that doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> Not at all. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I have yet to run up and embrace anything that has tapped me on the shoulder. Well, Sarah's going to attest to my uh, many-year relationship with uh, with the old man, as I call him. Uh, with with mm -hmm. with Odin, uh, that the the kicking and screaming involved with me getting involved in that relationship that was really I had to be shoved. <laughs> so I know I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So what it, other it, real quick before we get too far, I want to make sure that we cover everything. Let people know where are the other places they can find you besides your other podcasts and the other things that you're into. Uh, you have a Patreon page, which is really amazing. 
don't you go throw that all out there too? You're really good at that part of it, and I'm really bad at that part of it. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Um, yep, I have a community on Patreon that is largely based around rune lore, and um, you can find that if you just Google the week. Sorry, if you just go to Patreon and look for the weekly rune, you'll find it there. And I write a column called the Weekly Rune, which I've done for several years. That is what drove the writing of runic book of days um i'm on facebook but i i'm not exactly happy about it but i'm thrilled about instagram so you can find me there at kelly soul arts and my practice is soulintentarts.com and you can learn everything and more so at <laughs> my website yeah i'm with you instagram is quickly becoming my favorite i've doing like so many other people and getting rid of my Facebook app off my phone. It's just such a toxic place. If it wasn't it so really necessary is. for communication. It really, yeah. Yeah. And I, I enjoy that it's a hub for so many people that I otherwise might not be able to connect with. I value mm -hmm. it from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. But Instagram just has a better vibe and it, it doesn't have time for bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, and it's so much, it, it, it does have a better vibe. You, you're seeing pictures of people's houses and their families and vacation trips and foods they eat. And, you know, it, it's really amazingly intimate, but it doesn't feel it intrusive is. at the same time. Agreed. So, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, and for listeners, like I said, the, the Patreon page is really amazing because the weekly rune forecast is great gives you a lot of insights and compliments the the book of days the runic book of days perfectly well excellent so what got you really you you've mentioned before that uh you don't go into any kind of project or thing without getting <laughs> strung along so what did the what did the runes have to push you to do to get you to get this book out well um it's you know it's also it's partly being pushed and it's partly love affair because those things are almost mm. never separate either but when when i really started delving into nigel Pennock's work i think i had kind of i can't say i'd fallen out with the runes but i had fallen out with how i saw most people working with them and i just couldn't be creative enough to come to my own grips with that and when I started delving into Nigel, Nigel Pennock's work and how he was seeing them differently, a light went on. And it was pure curiosity at that point. And it, it deeply influenced my writing of the weekly rune and incorporating the half-month rune specifically. And when I did that for years and started to find relationship in that pattern, the runes were like, you can't keep this to yourself. You you have to you have to develop this in a way that gives other people a jumping off point. Oh, interesting. So so this was not a okay, well you've got all this knowledge, you can't hoard it. Congrats, now you gotta share it. Right. Right. <laughs> and that's what every introvert loves to hear. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. So you said uh, the half month rune, and that that plays in heavily to the book and into what you do with your Patreon page. Can you explain that to people how that process works? 
the concept of the half month is not a novel thing. It's an astronomical term that that helps you map what's happening the first and second halves of the month. So it, it isn't necessarily novel in that regard. But Nigel Pinnock based his work on Freya Oswin's work. There's a hot topic. Yeah, we, um, can, we can cover uh, that a little if you want to really oh, get into holy it. Holy <laughs> <laughs> We're just peeling them off one by one, aren't we? So um, he, he based his work on Freya's work around potential mappings of the runes with stellar relationships. And he took it further and he wrote the Pagan Book of Days a million years ago, which I also had this old love affair oh, with. Always got that, yeah. Yeah, it was such a. It still is a really great book, but it was such a great book in its time because it really wasn't like anything else that was coming out. But based on his fascination with timekeeping, he created this runic calendar, which is, in a way, brilliant and in a way, kind of a misnomer, but. It works for the way we do timekeeping now. So the the half month is there are twenty four runes in the Elder Futhark, and so that happens to work out really well with twelve months of the year having a rune assigned to each half month. And what does that interaction look like as you're going through the month? What how? How are those assigned, and how does that affect how your month would look and what you would do? I think that's highly individual, depending on your relationship to the runes and your understanding of the runes. For me, I use it sort of as guidance, uh, and, and in the way that I do the weekly rune itself, there's sort of a galder that evolves out of that patterning, and... For me, I use the half month as this is kind of the the element that is the jive right now. This is the one that is completely working in your favor and whatever you can manage in that time frame, um, these are the forces that you have on your side. And for me, I mean, it can sound kind of like you get pinned in to certain things. You got to fix it in two weeks or, you know, crisis resolution in two weeks. <laughs> but I look at it as every year I'm going to have this opportunity. Like, you know, with this half month, I know that this time of year, every year, I'm going to have some nuance of this opportunity. Okay, that makes sense. So um, does any of that stuff work into, uh, unfortunately, my, my advanced copy uh, expired just as I was getting oh, really into, into reading it. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I don't have time to request another one. <laughs> um, so in reading the book, this might be answered, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, so in going through the cycle of the year and working with the runes, are there clear signs that you get out of working with them in certain half months where you're like, oh, that relates to this harvest holiday, that relates to this astronomical event, um, uh, this might play into this retrograde or this um, a writing of this planet. I don't know how into astrology you are, but do, do you see those kinds of patterns play in too? I would love to be more into astrology than I am, so there's that. Like, I'd completely admire it, but I can't hold on to it for whatever oh, likewise. reason. I just can't. And, and I think it's an art, so, you know, I read all the good people and do with it what I can. Um, 
I think that's a it's a challenging question because my short answer is yes, I do find some really great overlaps with how the this runic calendar corresponds with C in some cases it's problematic for me because it's all been internalized in this Celtic flavor. Mm -hmm. And that that breaks things for me, and and it should, I think. <laughs> it's challenging for me. That makes sense. I mean, um, especially because you know, you're looking at two very different filters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet, at the same time, the runes have this staying power that somehow still speaks... And we find ways of relating to that power, and so there, you know, there's got to be some kinds of overlaps that we can hang on to. I, I, I talk mm -hmm. about that in the book. For me, that was really hard to write because I kept having this urge to be like, I don't want to use kind of the Celtic overlay for this, and yet if I don't, nobody's going to know what the hell I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, you know, everything is this sort of Wiccan distillation in the pagan community. And so it's like, okay, do I use the verbiage that everyone is going to be familiar with, or do I go hardcore and say, um, no, this, you know, we're going to keep this pure? Yeah, that's a mm -hmm. compromise that we have to make a lot of times with explaining these things to other people, or sometimes even to ourselves. Yes. Oh, man. I mean, any any given workshop that Jim and I have done, we've had to break terms down. Like it kind of sort of means this. This is kind of what a sort of the hoops yeah. or the the Caro uh, people mean in regards to chakras. Or this is kind of sort of what I mean when we're talking about spirits. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean that. Um, my my elder has a great uh, quote that she often throws at me, and it's uh, translator colon uh, translator colon uh, traitor. Oh, I see. <laughs> so yeah. your your, uh, your translations bear the marks of your biases, or they bear the yeah. the marks of whatever language you're translating <laughs> into. Absolutely. So when I was going through my Vans copy, the to give people kind of a taste, um, uh, the current stave we're on is Rado, and the specific section that we were dealing with was how various travels have affected your life. That was some of your, your exercises and there was more, but that was the, that's the one that I'll, I'll point to for right now. And I found that it was really interesting because not only how it helped uh, relate to that rune, but also how challenging it is for internal work. It is really uh, powerful towards the shadow work issues of it. it. It reminds me a lot of some of those writing challenge types books where it really makes you look internally to draw these things out. I found that fascinating. Yay! It worked! <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, and that's why I could recommend it to a lot of people because so many things that are a, a challenge on this path is it's not only learning um, particular icons or spirits or that sort of thing, but it is. You have to go through and do your shadow work and how many times as an elder have we told people, and I'm going to use uh, air quotes around elder, that, <laughs> in my case at least, the uh, uh, 
that you just have to keep returning to that shadow work and that basic fundamental yeah. work over and over and over again. Yeah. And this book seems like a really great opportunity for that because if I return to that same part of the wheel next year, I can think about what additional travels I have done over this last year and what those influences have had. I think that's really good because, you know, if, if we lose track of our cycles, then we lose our navigation mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, that's kind of the crux of my shamanic work at this point. It's the basis of my animistic perspective. If, if you don't have clarity on where you've been, then how are you going to get anywhere from this point forward? Right. And right. it is so subjective. <laughs> well, it's very important. I think, not only to keep in contact with the seasons, because that's really hard to do with all the technology and society we're surrounded by. Um, you know, with food availability 24 yeah. seven and, and 365 days a year, you know, it used to be special when the strawberries came into season, that sort of thing. Um, right. But it, it's, it really messes with our internal compass and, and it causes us to forget to slow down sometimes. So if I could look uh, another reference of yours, um, from, from your writings and your website is just how you approach like shamanic work and shamanic healing, spiritual healing for people because you emphasize that this is not an age or a, a modality where it's a one-off ritual, done, you're healed, go away. You, you encourage and, and try to set up ways of interacting with people that is long-term. That's going to take a few weeks or a few months because it's not going to be a quick fix, one ritual, you're out of here, all your issues are fixed. And, and it's just so common that everything gets sped up and tried to condense down in what we're doing right now. It's interesting because, you know, you, you can do something like that, that walk through the runic calendar and get that sense of personal cycle. But then you start getting a sense of these other cycles, like you're talking about the ones that you may not have control over. Mm -hmm. Like I've lost control of this aspect of my relationship to nature or, you know, like sometimes we don't get to slow down. We, you know, we, we still have to show up at work. We mm -hmm. still have to pay the bills. And, you know, even though we may feel that deep spiritual longing to slow down, mm -hmm. we still like to eat and have electricity. And, and so we're ob observing sometimes cycles that are clashing. Mm. Do you think, as I'm listening to this, and I, I'm noodling out that I think part of the conflict, and I'd like to hear your comment on this, is you, we're almost looking at a lunar, lunar, lunar versus solar kind of viewpoint, you know, um, sort of the mini cycles in the cycles. And what I'm hearing a lot of what's getting missed is that the overarching cycle of, yep, this is the year and you have so much time in the year is eating all the little cycles in terms of your concerns and, and what you put your energy toward. I think that's something the half months serve to bring your focus back to. It, it gives you this really distilled focus for two weeks. You know, it may not feel like it's long enough. It may feel like it's eternity, depending on what it's asking you to focus on. <laughs> but it, it give you know, that small breakdown gives you that sense of microcycles. So it, it sounds to me like um, it's, it's bringing us back into a relationship with time where 
where we're not always looking to the future, it's actually more of a, yes, you actually do need to live in the now and in the, the near future. You can't always live a year, two years, three years out. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really important takeaway is, again, the, the runes bringing you back to center and consistently. And they're not gentle about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not. They're they're blunt. You know, even if you're not working with them as a divinatory tool, which is how most people mm-hmm. approach them, um, they're very blunt, and and they they mean what they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you're not gonna hear any argument from me, <laughs> having worked with the runes for for a long time now. Um, they don't spare you. I, I no. think that's one of the, the things that um, I find that my, my tarot, at least, uh, I use the um, the Wildwood tarot. Mm-hmm. And for all that it is Wildwood and very Neolithic, uh, the imagery is more soft, in my experience, mm-hmm. than what than what the runes ever will be. <laughs> right. You know, um, for me, it's the, the, the runes are tapping into cosmic and personal forces at the same time. And so sparing you this experience isn't really in their job description <laughs> well said yeah I, there, I can attest <laughs> there have been times when uh, uh, Sarenth was giving readings and I was kind of minding the counter at the at the old wandering owl location and uh, I'd have to tell him this person needs a tarot reading not a rune reading they can't <laughs> handle a rune reading right now <laughs> it feels very kind of you <laughs> you know I'm not always mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I just it it, de- it depends too on what sort of rune set you're using too. I know you both have talked about having experiences where different runes uh, speak in different ways and different levels of bluntness to be uh, to phrase it one way or another. So, I mean, like the for Sarah, there's a, a iron set, which I know you're very familiar with, Kelly. And the thank uh, you, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, you know, he also has a, uh, a ceramic set, isn't it, Sarah? Isn't it uh, mm-hmm. the clay? It's clay. Right? Yeah. Yep. And that, those are a lot more well, like the clay itself. It's a lot more rounded. It's a lot more gentle, and you know, gentle being a relative term, but how they give the readings. <laughs> Actually, I want to kind of dig into that with you, with your work with this book. Um, was there a medium for the, that the runes worked with you through, and did that affect how you interpreted the message? Um, for me, the difference between the iron and the ceramic or the, the clay set uh, is the iron will go to a lot of different places, and it's a lot more sharp feeling, whereas the clay is, like you said, more rounded. And the clay tends to be more about this world stuff, so did you get, did you use more than one rune set? Um, is there a special rune set you worked with at all? I worked with the one that I made for the for the bulk of the writing of the book. And it was interesting because as I was getting to the end of it, that set kept saying, this isn't my gig. This, this is, I'm done. I've done my part. And that's <laughs> the, yeah, that's the point that I acquired the um the metal set and then I also acquired a cedar set and it's it they are they're all really beautiful and and they they all have different voices the whole world is filtered through trees for me Mm -hmm. I mean just just every the logic of the universe my cosmology is just all about trees and 
for me the the metal runes are definitely the roots they they're the deep binding stuff and my other sets are are more the branches and the leaves like my um my clay set that i made it it's it's more like leaf level and the uh ceramic set and the cedar set are branches and trunk supporting and and everything every reading that i do with the different sets that's kind of the 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 placement on the tree is it factors into how they're speaking to me oh that's fascinating okay so oh that's oh there's so much to dig in there to you where do i start <laughs> <laughs> so okay um can, can you give us an idea of the difference between the um experience you had with one of the root runes that you worked with versus one of the leaf runes like what was the difference in message impact that kind of thing uh, I feel like the metal runes are more about spankings I mean, there's, <laughs> they're, hard. I mean they're, just, they're just a lot more firm in their delivery and I can't think of a, a specific rune that I had a difference with mm-hmm. but um, when I use the clay set they're definitely more cerebral Whereas when I use the cedar set, it, they're more, I think, emotional. Mm. And the, the, the metal set is definitely, it's, it's like <laughs> lower root, even maybe root chakra stuff. It's right. that stuff that's under the dirt that is messy and you can't avoid it. Yep. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of where it comes out for me, too. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and so in, in the unfolding of all this work, did you, did you find that your own perspective on things was changing along with the work of writing this book? I think you just broke my brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, think... that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> um, definitely. I, I don't... I don't know that my perspective in in working with the runes in a granular way changed, but my appreciation for what they bring as a whole changed. Um, there was an experience at the end, I guess, I, I think maybe I had turned in the manuscript, the, the first, you know, big submission for the manuscript, and... I kept feeling like something needed to change for me, like those big, like soul eating changes. And I, I know y'all know what I mean by that, like undefinable mm-hmm. gnawing at me. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And, and I was going through a lot of health issues at the time. So it was just all very confused in my mind. And um, I was at a doctor's appointment. I was getting ready for a procedure. I'm sitting there in my paper gown, like on the edge of the table. um, And everybody around me was very nervous about this procedure because the the health condition that I have is really rare and they weren't completely sure (laughs) how to handle everything. And so I was not feeling very comfortable with any of it. And I had this um, few seconds where I just left my body spontaneously and I wasn't thinking about any of this. I I was mostly thinking, oh shit. And I left my body and I saw myself standing in the woods because it's always in the woods. 
and I felt the um I don't work tons with deities, but the the Norse pantheon that I have worked most with, they were all there and I thought, uh oh. And um all of a sudden the runes erupted out of me, like in an orbit around my body. And I thought, well that that was different. I mean, you know, that that was it. And I felt this was odd because all these years I had felt that there was a, a guardian or, or something. I don't ever know what those titles should be that, that was working with me with the runes, but, but it would never come through who it was. And this presence was there and I knew that it was Heimdall and he was like, he was, like, and he just kind of said, "You can go back now." And then I went back, and I was completely calm. The procedure went fine, and and I was like, "Holy shit!" Do I mean, is do I have to hold myself to the fire to have these kinds of <laughs> like? Can I reach a point in life where I don't have to be standing at the edge of the cliff to have these kind of releases in my life? That's that's a great question. I'd love the answer to that one myself. Uh, I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I know. I hear you. <laughs> so that was kind of the big shift that I had. It was very much internal. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is that is powerful, powerful stuff, powerful work. And I mean the. The, the fact that you you got your answers to who has been watching you that's huge that's really cool it was it was no words yep I understand <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, how do you grasp the ineffable yeah Wow, now I'm the one at the loss for words. I'm not sure where to go next. This is <laughs> <laughs> how do we? How do you follow that up? Um... <laughs> so amazing. So since 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 the uh, the 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 book is being published as of uh, what date? Next is it gonna be... Okay, very cool. So, are you going to be doing um, any kind of work like traveling around the country, book signings, that kind of thing, or is it kind of a here's the book, good luck? <laughs> um, I I have had to nerf everything because of the health issues that I'm dealing with. In the past, I have done all of the legwork that I possibly could to support releases, and I'm just not going to be able to do that with this one. So, I'm going to be doing a lot of virtual promotion. It's a big change. That sounds like a huge challenge, but you know, like Heimdall being, or Heimdall, excuse me, being the uh, god of boundaries, that makes a lot of sense. That now you're having to enforce your own. It's not been fun. It, it it's it's been really frustrating. But it is what it is. You know, when the body speaks, you have to do what it says. You know, soul, you know, drive or not, soul passion or not, you do what the body says. Yeah, we we are definitely kind of mm -hmm. anchored to it in this life, anyway. And there's a it, it holds quite a bit of sway over us. And it has its own spiritual reality and mm -hmm. relationships that that I have had to come more deeply into over the last year. 
that yeah, makes a lot of sense. It does. It does. Well, I, I mean, you said you've had ongoing issues, and I know that there there's some chronic issues in there as well, and that's something that so many people are facing right now. That uh, seems to be a problem that's at the forefront. And how much of that is that we need to? Not the saying that it's going to go away if you get your spiritual house in order. That it's quite the opposite. It's the question is, are our bodies and our our, our physical cells prompting us to get our spiritual house in order and and there but the body's going to continue to do what it needs to do or or is doing whether or not that house is in order i don't know if that's making sense but i mean it's oh, like yeah you know it, it, it's so much out there it's so much about you know you think yourself into health and positivity and all the other sort of stuff that drives me absolutely insane and it's just not where this reality's at right yeah, I, I have run the gamut of the whole new age, like you create your own reality, you, you know, that that just that whole perspective that if you're sick, then it's because you're fucking something up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's just the victim blaming and the shaming that comes with the physical condition, like no matter what it is, it, you know, whatever your concerns about your body are, the new age will find a way to blame you for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's an, there's an aspect of it that is the inverse of that. If you've read um, The Body Keeps the Score, it, it's not a light read, but it is so telling on how our life experiences mark our brain chemistry, and our brain chemistry really dictates the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's that part of it that we're finally beginning to understand But then we're also living in this huge time of transition, like climate, the whole nine, systems falling. And and I do feel like the body is also connected to those things in a way that we may not be consciously aware of. You look, yeah, look at all the additional elements in our soil and our air and our food. And it's just, it's impossible to separate those by willpower alone. It just doesn't work that Mm -hmm. (laughs) way. Right. Right, yeah, create that reality. Yeah, like, let's exactly. see how you, you go with that. Yeah, I, I relate to this as, a, as, you know, my chronic health condition, uh, one of a couple are, are, I'm diabetic, you know, and so uh, I can't not be grounded in my body. You know, right. Uh, what's for dinner is a daily question, not only because I have to, to ponder um, like every other, you know, human being and animal on this planet, and I have to figure out what I'm going to eat, but also... Uh, what's the carb load, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and and so when people talk about, well, you need to work on balance every day of your life. Well, <laughs> sometimes the score yeah. is is uh, leaven for me, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's it's a daily struggle with um, the the systems as they're set up for food production in this country. You know, all the really cheap stuff is all the stuff that will pretty much kill me if I eat too yes. much of it. So it's it's this balancing act between what you can do and what you can financially afford, what you can physically afford, you know. And sometimes it's a game of robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, if I want that little bit of sweetness, I gotta I gotta make sure that my my meals for the day are balanced in some other fashion. Mm-hmm. Maybe I eat more vegetables or meat or something. And relating this back to the runes, you know, sometimes you need a little more onsies in your life, and sometimes you need a whole lot more urus. Yes. 
Well, you know, if I could, if I could interject here too, Sarah, through having known you so many years, this is one of those interesting cases where having an ongoing issue is actually, in some ways, your body's way of saving you. Um, having known you so long and how connected you can be, but how out of body that you can be, if that hard limit wasn't there, um, yeah, you, may, you might be yeah. one of those cases where an outsider would see schizophrenia. That's very true. That's very true. I um, mean, really, it, it, yeah. it, it was the universe, your body, the universe, whatever you want to look at, protecting you to a large way by putting these hard limits on you. I mean, you're not wrong. I did. I have and uh, continue at times to do a lot of really powerful out-of-body um, spirit work. And you're right. The diabetes does make me pull myself back in and have to balance between, okay, well, if I'm going to be gone in meditation for blah many hours, how am I getting food? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, you know. The meat suit dies. Uh, I guess I'm permanently walking around in astral form, but uh, right. that's not the exact exactly. <laughs> that's not the same thing. No, that's not quite. Sharp never did come back from his walkabout. I wonder where he's at. Ah, crap! Aww. Well, not only that, but with how your wife is and and uh, how you're raising your son, they'd still be complaining they got to feed you every night, even if you were dead. Oh man, yeah, I, I feel so bad for them. They had to to do that kind of maintenance work. Um, okay, so I want to I want right. to ask a question real quick, both of you, because if you have, you both have spoken of chronic and ongoing things, how do you feel and how do you reconcile your spiritual work with these people that want spiritual work to give them some sort of healing? You have people that come to you with, you know, might be something as uh, quote unquote normal as migraines, or maybe it's some sort of other ongoing condition, and they want some sort of solution that comes from ritual or journey work. And all these other people mm-hmm. online have promised them that if they retrieve part of their soul, this issue with their back is going to go away. How do we reconcile that as practitioners? What, where do we feel the truth lies in those areas? You know what? That is my next book. <laughs> oh well, it, <laughs> seriously, it is that. That's the next one. Is like you know, the shamanic perspective on chronic health conditions or, you know, a shamanic perspective on Mm -hmm. them. It's the one that people come to me the most with is seizures. Mm -hmm. Is if that, I I wrote this one blog a million years (laughs) ago and it's like one of the top, you know, hits on my website. And I get lots of inquiries about people who are having seizures, which is deeply connected to soul flight I mean, the, you know, the, the parallel there is a thing, but it's curious because people do tend to come wanting to be fixed and they want that because somebody else has tried to sell it to them in the past Mm -hmm. or, you know, something, something somewhere has given them the idea that that's the way this works. And that's, I, I, I'm not in the fixing business. I, I'm, I don't, that's not the way I approach things. And so, um, it's really challenging to have someone who's not feeling well, you know, who's, who's dealing with something really big and disruptive in their lives. They want help with it. And I have to educate them in what my role really is, which is just more of a spiritual informant that you have to make decisions based on what your information is. You you take all of that 
and you make the decisions that you need to for yourself and I will completely cheerlead you in that process mm-hmm. but it's hard to to get people to to sit through that education point because they just want to feel better mm-hmm. yeah who doesn't and, right right and and you know somebody somewhere has promised them that and that that's that's not the approach that I can take yeah, um, I mean, for, for my own piece, uh, healing is really not one of my primary gigs, you know. Um, I happen to think that even within the Northern tradition, there are certain folks who might be really, really good at healing work but are mm-hmm. absolute garbage at divination. Or they might have this one thing they can do exceptionally well and they can't do this other thing exceptionally well. Um you know, I, I am not a healer. I'm not an herbalist. I go to other people for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when people come and say, well, can you help me resolve this issue? I usually have to turn them away at the door because it's like, no, I really don't possess the skills for this to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I did, um, rune work is not going to fix your chronic health condition because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be a diabetic if it could. <laughs> for um, real. <laughs> you know, um, I think that the the big challenge of, of folks and spirit work and expecting them to, to just fix everything, um, I, I think the problem is that we have we have a disconnect between uh, you know body and spirit in a way that is rather insidious, and I think it plays into the larger cultural forces at work in our culture because. Um, <laughs> There, there is no magic cure, Mm-mm. you know. Um, if, if indeed there is a cure for your condition, it's going to have to be handled through the pathways that are, are best aligned to it. And even if I could wave my hands, cast a couple of runes, or write runes on, you know, say somebody comes to me with a problem, like a gastrointestinal problem or maybe a diabetic problem, if, even if I could tattoo runes on your skin and the problem was gone as soon as those tattoos were inscribed, if I could do that, what are you willing to pay for for that chronic health condition uh, to go away? Mm-mm-mm. You just opened a can of worms with that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, that's. I mean, when when we get right down to rune work, I mean, there's a reason. There's that section that asks you, "Do you know how to carve? Do you know how to make sacrifices? Yeah. You know, do you do you know how to do this work? Well, I mean, if the, if is the difference between setting a bone and fixing. You know, your insulin dependency. There's a huge difference there. Right. The runes are helping with your self-healing process at that point. If you're writing runes on a cast, for instance, just make sure they're the right runes for the <laughs> um, And so, you know, okay, so the runes fixed your arm. You you made the appropriate offerings, I'm assuming. Okay. The, the transaction's done. It, it was a break. It got fixed. You know, that's very transactional in that kind of fashion, but a chronic health condition is an ongoing issue. So if you're going to petition the runes to address an ongoing issue, whether it's an epilepsy or, or a, a diabetic case, what are you willing to pay for that to get fixed on, uh, on, a, on a basis to where it no longer enters into, okay, I have to take care of this on a daily basis? I mean, that's, that's a load. Right. Of, of work that you're asking the runes to shoulder. Are you willing to pay 
the appropriate cost. Can you pay the appropriate cost? I have often wondered, you know, when you read these John of God experiences or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever healer that, you know, the world has said, this person performs these miraculous things. Um, I've often wondered who follows up with those people six months later? Mm-hmm. Who, who, asks them, you know, a year from now, are you still free of symptoms? What, when you left this amazing, awe-filling experience and went back to your everyday life, did you stay clear of symptoms? Did you, you know what I'm saying? How, how does that play out over time? Nobody has those dialogues. All you hear are the miraculous sessions. I've received miraculous sessions I have done miraculous sessions so have both of you Mm -hmm. and then we go back to everyday life Mm -hmm. there's so much more to the story than just yeah I always think about like with some of those people uh, those spontaneous healings how much is mental onset to begin with because or, or, or spiritual sickness but we're going to go in the the frame of mental, like say I believe or I've read about John of God before, and I get to a point where there's some sort of deep emotional crisis going on. Would it make sense that through the the mechanisms of the mind placebo, I might generate a pain which forces me to go down there because really what I'm seeking is an emotional release or an emotional experience, a spiritual experience. And so I've manifested a physical ailment and so it does miraculously go away, but there's all the other caveats because really what you were going to do was the emotional work or the spiritual work. It wasn't the physical work at all. I, w- I wonder about that. You know, those, mm-hmm. th- like you said, there's so many things like uh, Sarah and I have talked with people before uh, one lady in particular that, that had, uh, was working a lot with ayahuasca retreats and mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. the aftercare here in the United States. And she said, and I think this boils into some of the conversation we had earlier about some of this work. Um, you know, we expect in this culture a miraculous healing, but in uh, an indigenous culture or a tribal culture, you might have a huge ritual that might have a huge effect, but then you are also part of that community, which yes. ongoing healing yes. continues. It's not, it might appear to be one miraculous ritual, but it, it is an ongoing cultural Exactly. You are not carrying it by yourself. Exactly. You know, and like the the phrase, the metric that is often used for shamanic work is is can you make the corn grow? And really, the truth of that, if you if you if you break that down to its components, is it is the shaman's work to to interact with the spirits, to talk to the spirits. But the shaman does not make corn appear. Right. The shaman is trying to make ideal conditions. It's trying to convince the rain to come. And sometimes that might mean also picking up the tools and going out and helping everybody plant the seed corn. Right. You know, there is a whole spectrum of things that have to happen. So when we're talking about healing work, my shamanic work might make your body ready to receive some sort of new treatment or chemotherapy. It might make make it easier to find the ideal doctor that can treat your symptoms but that does not necessarily mean a miraculous cure for the entire condition. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, what brought to mind were two separate incidences, and that's uh, 
folks who would go and um, make petitions at Apollo or uh, Asclepius' shrines, they would leave behind offerings of the body part that was cured, cured in the past tense. Like, they made this journey, which could take days to walk. You know, it was an entire process. There was pilgrimage. There was, you know, not only I have this ailment, but also I'm preparing to heal. Mm -hmm. There, you know, um, and then when the healing occurs, you leave the offering and you leave the sickness behind with the God in question. Um, I also think of, uh, in terms of paying the price, I think of St. Paul as well, you know, on the road to Damascus. Okay, he was struck blind. He got cured of it by washing his eyes. And then he devoted his whole, you know, the rest of his young life. I mean, keep in mind, he was in his mm-hmm. like, mid-30s. And he lived till 80-something, I think. You know, so he, he spent 50-some-odd years of his life after being cured, doing that work. And so... <laughs> Let's say you get your miraculous healing. Are you willing to devote the rest of your earthly life to service for whatever helped you get cured? I mean, when, when we talk about miraculous healings and things like that, um, you know, you're in, no, in no small part, when you're asking for something like that, you're also asking for a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you both have said, I mean, a lot of the... The, the journey up to those miraculous moments, whether you know you're laying down uh, an, an offering hand for him curing um, some sort of hand ailment you have, you know, uh, in Asclepius's case, they'd lay down whatever he was curing. They'd lay down like a plaster cast of the hand or the foot or whatever, um, and there were physicians in the temple. So it wasn't just, hi, I'm coming to the temple and Asclepius is just going to spontaneously cure me. It's I'm also seeing the proper professionals. (laughs) Right. Right, right, exactly. You don't don't take the terrestrial needs out. It's it's all working together, and you're doing your part by going and seeing the physicos. You're going and seeing the shrine, and you're making the offering, and you're doing the work. And the work can be just doing the therapy to make sure you don't re-break your foot. (laughs) Right. And and I think, you know, you you touched on this already, but having that whole setup in place, you know, not not just the community that is on the same page that you are, but all of that power, all of those skills in one place that have been passed down for potentially hundreds of generations, we don't have that. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. Um you know, in in the temple layout, you had centuries upon centuries yeah. of people been doing the work, yeah. and um, descended from the divine healer in terms of how they saw their their calling. I mean, that's powerful stuff. Not yeah. least of which is that they were pretty medically advanced for their age. I mean, that's you know they didn't separate between spiritual and physical knowledge. It, it's all one and the same. And I, I think that part of part of the issue we have, especially with modern shamanism, is people expect the spiritual to fix the physical as though they're separate things. Yes. Well, and not only that, but it, it seems to me that there's a lot of very Western... Uh, I, I know these things are an exchange. They are a transaction to a certain point of time. But a lot of people are thinking of things more like tools as opposed to allies oh that drives me crazy right like all you got to do is buy this crystal and put it on your forehead no it doesn't 
why? Why would that do that? Why would that crystal do that for you? Why do you expect this huge result right. from this when you haven't invested anything in that relationship? You haven't, yeah. I mean, it's not as simple as I went down to the dollar store and I bought a cure. That doesn't. That's not how this works. Right, and and then we can't figure out where that unconscious sense of entitlement comes from. Mm -hmm. Just get yourself a Sephora witch kit. Oh <laughs> what are you waiting for? That's right. I'm annoyed. I got into paganism and the cult all these years ago, and I didn't get a starter kit. Dang it. I'm like, right? It's not fair. No. Like, <laughs> the good witch should come and drop that down your chimney or something. Shouldn't that be how it works? Well, it they is call those pretty. Now. <laughs> it's really, oh, my God, yeah. For real, I'd rather have one of those. <laughs> no doubt, right? <laughs> but, I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, it's not just, oh, those dang kids get off my lawn. It's... Um, you know, the Sephora kits don't imply any working relationship. Right. Um, these don't come through spiritual hands. This is somebody in a, in a, in a, a corporation putting something together to sell an aesthetic. It's different from, and I'm, I'm going to um, point out somebody that I, I, I deeply respect, you know, Living Roots, for instance, puts together these kits for people to use in their own home for cleansing and for other spirit work um but those pass through a a practitioner's hands who know what she's doing mm -hmm. and who has established working relationships with the spirits of those trees herbs um the soaps she puts together so on and so forth I mean, these are the work of her hands and her relationships come into a kit that you can use Mm -hmm. That's a different relationship from Sephora putting together a kit to profit off of. Right, right. Uh, yeah. It's it's a different thing. Like, There's no relationship in that. Right. Like like the herbalists that we know, uh, Matthew Wood or, or Brian Hornbeck, a few of those other ones that we know well, they, they've mm -hmm. got a relationship with all those plants. They've raised them. They've cared for them. They're going to get results out of plants that nobody else is going to, especially not something that's mass produced. But the problem is problem air quotes again that you know you're going to have to invest in their efforts in their relationship it's not going to be just something that easy as going out and picking a dandelion out of your yard they could get a result out of a dandelion that you can't it's strange for right. people when, to realize but it's true well yeah when nicole puts together one of these kits there's all the background work of doing the work with the spirits that she's done mm -hmm. so it's not just you know the the physical items and the labor to make the, these kits that you're paying for, you're also compensating them for their time. I mean, I, I have the same spiel whenever anybody comes to me and balks at the price that I have for rune readings. Yeah. I mean, you I, I today, I just gave, you know, three drops of blood to Runeteer and three drops of blood for the Runeteer. Are you going to pay me for that blood? <laughs> <laughs> for real. But yeah, people don't think about that at all. And I mean the the relationships we have with spirits i mean this is why initiation and work is so important i mean we we mentioned already with you know the ancient temples and in our own modern practice the initiation work we've done has deep impact on how things come through us or what comes through us uh what we do how we do it you know, I don't expect anybody to have my taboos because they don't have that unique relationship that I do with Odin or the spirits. Um, 
And to expect that out of somebody, I think, would be a, more than a little bit foolish. You know, again, I, I don't work with the herbs like Nicole or Matthew would do or Brian Hornbeck because I, I don't have that relationship. I, I certainly can't get white sage around here, for instance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Nor would I want to as endangered as it is. I don't exactly. have that. I don't have that good relationship with it. So I, I just there's so much more going on than just, oh, well, I've got a product now and I can go use the product. It's, you know, when you're talking about amethyst and people don't, you know, don't understand what the most ancient, one of the most ancient uses for it was, it was for, for fighting off drunkenness. Well, why does it bring spiritual clarity? Cause you're not drunk anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it, you know, it keeps coming my mind, Kelly, I keep coming back to what you said earlier about, just how everything comes through as trees for you and, and the ongoing health issues and, and your experience where you felt like the runes were pouring out of you. It's like people should really realize how blessed they are to get a lot of this information from your book or any other thing else, a podcast like this, anything like this, because that ongoing health issue is part of the price that you're paying to understand these runes so well. And if they want to know it this well, are they willing to pay that price? It's a big commitment to make and, and right? we will all we will all make that commitment if that's the enlightenment that you're asking for. You know, plug mm-hmm. in whatever word it is that you use. There will be sacrifice. And there will it will take time. I mean you do not birth these relationships overnight. Yeah, you got that right. I'd be so bold as to say I don't think you can. Agreed. I mean, even with Odin, when he finally grabbed me and brought me kicking and screaming into heathenry in the Northern tradition, um, I knew about him from a, a peak experience that I had that started off with Anubis three years previous to him grabbing me, well, at least two. Um, you know, so even if, if I hadn't done much with the relationship, when he finally came to grab me, it was it was a known quantity. It was just one that I wasn't willing to interact with yet. Um, and I think that too is also something people should factor into their, their understandings of some of these peak experiences when you get whammy with them is how far have you let the work go or how much have you let go so that sometimes the peak spiritual experience is the only thing that gets through. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's where a lot of daily work can really be a powerful buffer mm-hmm. for, for some of this is, you know, you, not every experience can or should. You may not survive very long if every experience is wham, wham, wham. So the daily work is something I emphasize to a lot of people, students and people at workshops, because, you know, it, not every experience needs to be a whammy. Yeah. It seems that's that's what people want, or that's mm-hmm. what they think they want. Because, again, it, it's <laughs> associated with, you know, miraculous cure, you know, miracle pill. Um, if it worked that way, I would love it. I, I wish it did work that way, but it, it doesn't. <laughs> and it it takes relationship. It takes showing up over and over. And I do the same thing. I really encourage people to cultivate their studies, you know, whatever they are. They don't have to be mine, but whatever it is that grounds you and grows you, do it every day so that when those peak experiences happen, you're not completely 
bowled over. And even if you are, you know what to do with it. You've got some sort of foundation for how to move on and apply it to life in a way that you're changed and you're showing up. Hmm. Yeah. I meet all these people who try to learn a new discipline when their life is a shitstorm, and I'm I'm don't I'm not saying that you can't do that because right. you can you you totally can, but you're in an altered state, and you're you're managing trauma while you're trying to learn new skills on multiple levels, and that's a lot of work. It isn't that you can't do it. It's just that it's really taxing to do it that way, and you do have another option, and that option is slow, methodic, and preferably under the tutelage of somebody who knows how to help you build that foundation for yourself. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah. here, here's the point. We'll, we'll take a, a slight tangent here. And this is the point that Kelly will hang up on us. No, because um, <laughs> it was it was mentioned in the preface, I believe, of the book, and you you brought it up earlier. Let's talk. What's the deal with Freya Aspen? What oh, happened shit. there? <laughs> so you know, because I know Sarah has been. I, I've been wanting to talk to Sarah about it as well, and I just I'm what? not in those circles enough. Uh, well, I was in a forum where there was an exchange between her and the the whatever moderator administrator of the forum and it i you know and i'm not completely sure what happened like i didn't see her say anything that i thought would be off color mm-hmm. but um apparently it it did happen in other places and the explanation that I have seen after the whole removal, uh, ex- you know, huge announcement, was that, you know, you're not supposed to have any political opinions that are made publicly when you're a member of that group. Right, and right, right. she had been speaking out against things happening here in the United States, like, you know, Trump and that whole shit show. Mm-hmm. So... That's one part of it. Um, okay, how to how to say this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I have observed is a willingness to throw bones and then do nothing when they stir up an absolute fray of really poorly informed people. Mm, mm-hmm. That is what I have observed firsthand. Okay. And I see that with a lot wow. of elders, meaning, you know, people that we've looked up to for 30 mm-hmm. or 40 years. Um, and I kind of cringe because I'm like, is that just what aging does to you? It might. I, I worry it, about that all the time you know, as, I, it, as I get closer and closer to my get yeah, off my lawn I years. Just closed off because I, I see these I see these people who in the boomer heyday the hippie heyday were off the hook thinkers mm-hmm. and off the hook has changed it is it requires a lot more personal investment and action not just saying 
I'm, I'm okay with everybody. And so, you know, when you do things like throw really vague bones into a fray and just stand back, um, that's, that's a contradiction in, in the activism that today requires. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I get where you're coming from. It, it does happen a lot, and that's the, the hard part. I, I'm with you. I worry about it constantly because it's like I always have to double-check my motivations and then be willing to and, and, and willing to explain further what I meant, make apologies, uh, examine or myself on why that I said that wrong. in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Just realize like, oh, damn, I did just say that because I did draw on XYZ experience right. and that experience was a poorly held bias from way back. Yeah, I, I suppose maybe that's what, it, what a lot of it comes from. You know, you always hear about old people set in their ways, but it's it's kind of a side effect, I suppose. When, when you have a certain body of experience, you're drawing off all kinds of different portions of that experience and despite your best efforts to become a better person and, and edit those experiences every once in a while, you're going to get tripped up and pull old data. You're yeah. going to be like, where the hell did this disc come from? You know, yeah. this is like <laughs> floppy disc. Where's this? I don't even <laughs> I understand anymore. <laughs> my metaphor for that, my lifelong metaphor for that has been one day there will be a rocking chair on the front porch mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And the truth that I am living into is it isn't going to happen. I, I don't know if it's a Gen X thing. Uh, it could be so, so many factors, but it, it isn't going to be that way for me, not in terms of comfort and not mm -hmm. in terms of complacency. Yeah, yeah. We're just the, the state of everything. is. I, I doubt many of us are going to be able to be complacent and just have that nice retirement where we sit around and do nothing yeah. but complain about the young kids. Hmm. <laughs> I think that uh, there's something I picked up on earlier in the conversation, and I kind of want to bring it to the fore. I don't know that some of our elders should be looked at as activists or should be looked at as activists yeah, any, lo any longer. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, for instance, you know, you take your book, your 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 newest book. At some point down the road, maybe. You know, your public room speaking days are over, and it's just you and your spirits and your gods and what have you. And you do get a rocking chair, and people will come to you and be like, Well, you know, can you teach me? And you're going to have to tell them no. You know? Right. And mm -hmm. so that, too, I think at some point is it was something we really need to ponder individually and as communities. At what point do these elders hold an esteemed place? But we recognize, maybe they need to recognize, maybe it's a mutual thing, I don't know, uh, that their work has changed. Mm -hmm. Not that they're done, because the work of an elder is different than the work of a student. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you've got to come to a point where you recognize that an, an elder... Uh, I think is best as someone that isn't at the forefront. They're there for support. Right. You've had your time at this forefront. Right. It's time to step aside gracefully and support the people that are now at the forefront. And I, I maybe that's the difference is I recognize that I'll probably be 
always have some level of activity, but I don't expect to be at the forefront, especially nowadays. The with what's going on right now, with so many mm-hmm. things going on in our society, is so many voices that haven't been heard before. I as a as a white male, I really don't need to be at the forefront. I I like to be involved because I like to be involved in people's lives. I like to be supportive, but I I really don't need to be at the forefront. There's plenty of voices that need that space right now. And I think it's a a question of which voices what front. Because, um, you know, it's, it's one thing for an elder within their spiritual community to say things and say, this is my opinion on this matter Mm -hmm. that's relevant to our community and our community alone. Um, you know, I don't have to like or agree with anything that comes out of Z Budapest's mouth, but I'm also not a Dianic Wiccan because at the end of the day, I don't care. Not because I, I don't care about trans folks having space in, in the pagan communities as a whole, but because Dianic Wiccans are not my concern. If that's the company they keep, that's their choice. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to police a Dianic Wiccan space because they're not my community. Right. Now, if they come into a public gathering, that's different. You know, you come to a public gathering and then make an exclusionary space, that's different. Right. Um, you know, Freya Oswin has her opinions, uh, many of which <laughs> I don't agree with, and I wouldn't probably invite her to my rituals or my space, but if people do so under the auspices of their religious group or what have you, okay. But I wouldn't expect me to attend anything that she has put on. I would have a problem with a, a festival bringing her mm-hmm. on. Oh, but it's I think it's the, it's the balance between we need to let people make their own choices about who they associate with and be willing to distance ourselves from people we no longer want to associate with mm-hmm. and do so in a way that is... Peaceful isn't quite the word that I... Amicable, maybe? It's not quite the verbiage I'm looking for, but I don't think that every disagreement needs to turn into a fight. Mm -hmm. We just need to hold strong boundaries. I think there's a difference. (laughs) You reminded me, actually, of of an article I read on uh, Cracked.com, of all places, just today. (laughs) It was an article about nine pieces of advice that are commonly given that are are actually awful. (laughs) And... And I think it was around number seven or so, if I recall, the the piece of advice that people get or, or say often is don't let the haters get you down. And the explanation was essentially that, you know what, sometimes you're doing something wrong and sometimes things are, are not quite right. And so the better piece of advice would be get a proper sense of what you should and should not be ashamed of. <laughs> I think that was brilliant. And I don't know yeah. somehow that ties into what we're talking about. That's pretty good. Yeah, I did like it. Was, I have to admit it was a good article. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and, and I'm, I, I don't know how much of this you, you've experienced yourself, Kelly. You know, every so often you'll get somebody who approach, I'll get somebody who approaches and says, well, how can you, you work with those symbols? The Nazis appropriated them. Okay. Right. Sure. You know, um, and and so my, my my counterbalance is why why would you let the bastards win? Yeah. <laughs> the, the response to that is usually just a blank stare, and it's like you know how long did that regime last? Right, and how long has the Elder Food Park been in existence? 
And people will say, well, what about the swastika then? And I go, you know what? I recognize that as a symbol that has been tarnished in people's heads and will exactly. remain so for a very long time. Yeah. I do not expect that symbol to be rehabilitated in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't want it to be because it is a sacred symbol. It's the sun wheel. And I think the Nazis are a pack of bastards for approaching, uh, for appropriating it. But I recognize that that's one that even the Navajo signed an agreement tell, saying to the public they'd give up. That's yeah. huge. Now, it is I, huge. I, may, I may not agree with that decision because I think that's a sacred symbol maybe they should have hung on to, but that's my personal opinion. I'm not Navajo. <laughs> right. You know, um, but my, my, my feeling on, on appropriating the runes for, for white supremacist crap is it's just that. And I think that that's my line in the sand for a lot of that kind of thing is, is I'm not letting these bastards win. <laughs> now, yeah. whether that's just sheer cussed uh, stubbornness or, you know, I, I mean, I look at these as, as sacred symbols, spirits, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I can't just let that go without a fight. And um, thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> um. You know, I, I think of, of Taivas and and uh, Othila. And I'm sorry, but Othila connects so hard with me for the ancestors that I'm not going to let some mm-hmm. jag off with a winged Othala just go off and have their day. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating. I mean, I, I have to breathe through that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think anger and frustration is appropriate and that you know um what i want people to get through is not just feeling anger and guilt and shame but doing what they can about it because if all you're doing is just sitting in the emotion and not letting it prompt change you're indulging yeah Mm. yeah you know it's one thing to say well i want that pipeline not to get built it's another thing to put your money down or to physically go there and stand up against the construction of that pipeline or you know i'm thinking very much a line five in this case under the straits you know it's one thing to say i don't want that pipeline to be used anymore it's another thing to stand with the water protesters financially physically Mm -hmm. spiritually um you know don't just feel or if all you can do is feel get through the feeling and then let that feeling eventually prompt you to action love and light Sarenth let's not not even (laughs) love and light Uh, hi Kelly why (laughs) (laughs) I know I know alright so I want to take I I don't want to take your whole night Kelly but let me take a real quick sudden and sharp left turn here because we often talk about things that are completely frivolous on this show. It's one of the things I enjoy the most. And I know that you are huge into games. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so real quick, a couple of your favorite board games or games that you like to play. Let's talk about that. I'm old school, or, or at least in terms of Euro game, old school. I would sit and play Carcassonne for hours and Settlers of Catan. <laughs> they're probably, they're they're my favorites. Um, but in terms of, it's still not recent, but like um, Castles of Burgundy mm. and um, the Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Um, 
Rajas of the Ganges. That one came out last year, I think. And also some like short-term games, Sagrada, which is playing with stained glass windows, which how is that not fun? Wow. Um, what else? Istanbul. I, I'm dating myself because those aren't exactly new games. I'm not a cutting-edge gamer. It takes <laughs> me a while. I can't say anything. I played enough with Apple. <laughs> um, like most of the time we're still working under D&D 3.5 rules what do I know <laughs> I love D&D but you know what the latest rules update was really good it was, yes, it was. yeah version 5 it brought back really some nice. of the, the the good old things I miss D&D it's, a, it's like another job <laughs> Isn't it though? Oh my gosh. And Sarah and I were talking about recently, like he's working on a Shadowrun campaign. I worked on one recently. I read that. Oh my gosh. You know, Shadowrun. So jealous. Shadowrun's amazing because it's such an oh, in depth so universe. But you have to be a literal lawyer to get through that rule book. Oh. This is like, oh, let me see. A, a lawyer with a side of mathematician. Okay, I'm ready to run mm -hmm. a game. <laughs> this is great. You better have a block of D6s. No. Yes. Oh, my gosh. But it was fun setting up a whole campaign uh, mm -hmm. based off of the Detroit area. That was kind of fun. But That is pretty cool. Yeah. I love it when you can let your imagination run crazy because, you know, it, it's that... <sighs> You know, we've got this, these levels of spiritual and occult knowledge that we've been cultivating for years, and now you throw it into a game system. So what do I do? You know, you turn what happens if the salt mines that are underneath Detroit that most people don't know about, well, what if all kinds of dark sorcerers were down there using that salt as protection to do their worst experiments? You know, that kind of thing. I just... There's just so many possibilities when you start. I mean, what's off. stopping us from doing that now? Well, that, I don't know where the interest of the salt mines <laughs> are. I'd have you come out here and pick me up. We could, <laughs> I don't know. Sounds yeah, like do, you've got some work to do. You know, we can do a yeah, ritual. I, a ri oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Sarah, Sarah the, the salt caves, they go under the lakes. So that's where we oh. need to do the ritual against line five. There you go. It all makes sense. That sounds awesome. It's coming together. Yep. <laughs> we, and for all the supernatural fans we can collect all the rock salt we'll ever need yeah exactly <laughs> oh, real. and then you can sell it to Sephora for their next oh, oh it's, it, it's complete <laughs> it's, and then we would be able to afford the porch with the rocking chair there you go. look at how this there is coming go. full circle this is amazing yeah. everything comes wow. full circle it's destiny <laughs> <laughs> um, we could do a slumber party you realize yeah. that yeah we could Talk yeah. all night about the spirits. Definitely, this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we've but already I mean, kept you on on the phone here for about an hour and twenty minutes, so I suppose we should probably think about wrapping this episode. We up. should think about the other people in our lives. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, <laughs> my wife's used to me disappearing for hours in the computer room, and she might be surprised if I come out early. So I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so, um, well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was a really great conversation. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It is always great to talk with you guys. Oh, likewise. You're doing a great thing with your podcast. I oh, can't wait to you. see what else you do. Yeah, thank well, you. thank you so much. And and give everybody the rundown of where they can find you again. What's the easiest ways to get a hold of you? Um, Probably the easiest way is through my website, soulintentarts.com. And on Instagram at Kelly Soul Arts, and um, 
you can subscribe to the weekly rune at my website also and at patreon if you search for the weekly rune you can find out how to get the paid version of the weekly rune and uh, don't forget everybody go to amazon.com right now and pre-order runic <laughs> book of days comes out on september 11th you don't want that big bob woodward book on politics that's just gonna all that's going to do is kill you faster what you want is the runic book of days trust me this is what you want (laughs) i'm gonna have to write that down (laughs) that's right uh and as as always you can find uh sarenth at at sarenth at gmail.com and on twitter at at sarenth i am james of the owl on twitter and you can find me as wandering white hat on instagram and uh also, we're talking about the next show. Sarenth, one of uh, one of Sarenth's friends is coming up. We're going to be interviewing uh, this Saturday on the 9th. Mm-hmm. We're going to be interviewing Richard Norris, who's an initiate of the Starry Bull tradition. We're going to be talking about polytheism, Platonism, and alchemy, amongst other things. And so look for that episode to drop either Saturday night or early Sunday morning. Yes, I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. This will be good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. Thank you again, Kelly. And uh, we hope to see you in the next show. Thank you so much. Thank you.
drown.